hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Kara. Marler, the biggest news of the weekend. I finally predicted the winner of a quarterback battle and I got a hot take right. What was the hot take? Well, the hot take was... Oh, based off the quarterback battle. Based off the quarterback battle that Tommy Stevens was going to win the starting job at Mississippi State. That was State, good. And that Keaton Thompson was not going to be on the opening day roster at Mississippi State. That, of course, was what we found out. A little tongue-in-cheek there. Obviously, Gator fans. I know. That's not the big news of the weekend. Florida squeaks out a win against Miami. Should, just, do we want to talk about that game, though? I don't know if they want to get back into it emotionally. Yeah, I don't know if they're ready yet. It might be a little bit too soon. We're recording this early Sunday afternoon, and um, basically about, oh, I don't know, like 15 hours removed from watching just one of the stranger games I've seen in a long time. Have you ever watched um, four hours of a slow-developing uh like a play that the whole like the whole theme of the play is just oh I was right yeah I, I have not watched that play I don't know if you have either but that's probably what it felt like for you yeah it was it was very very great well we have given ourselves massive pats on the back in the first forty five seconds despite the fact that both of us got our prediction wrong for the for the spread oh yeah that's all right yeah that's all right I said in the summer though that it was the the under we'll get into it we'll get into it I'm excited a ton to get to obviously a lot of Florida Miami talk and also talk Felipe Franks and just kind of the enigma that he is and really what was on on Saturday night. Um, and then the aforementioned Mississippi State quarterback battle. And then what we found out from the NCAA with punishments uh, against Mississippi State for academic fraud that has Mizzou fans rightfully upset. And then... Spoiler alert, it's going to make you angry. Yeah, a little bit. Like, no matter who you are in this situation, you're just going to be angry at the NCAA. Yeah. I, th- I think we can agree on that. And then we've got a little bit of looking ahead to week one. We'll get to know your opponent. We've got some fun facts and nuggets, just random things that we wanted to include for these week one SEC matchups. But before we do all of that, as you know, got to tell you about our friends over at Sweet Hop. The start of the season is just around the corner, and this year our favorite SEC teams will be taking the field at pro stadiums throughout the South. You've got Alabama at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, which, by the way, will be there next week, sick brag. Uh, Auburn is going to be AT&T Stadium in Dallas, taking on Oregon. We've got South Carolina at Bank of America Stadium, taking on UNC. And the Dogs, Gators, of course, annual cocktail party in Jacksonville. These road games present the perfect opportunity to enjoy the game as a group from your very own private suite. You can get away from the student crowd and toast to the team by booking a suite at Sweet Hop. Pull into the best parking, skip the lines using the VIP entrance, and enjoy a full spread of food and beer right in your suite. It's your space to enjoy, totally free from rowdy underclassmen covered in body paint. That's the sweet life, y'all. That sounds kind of cool, though. I mean... Doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't. I don't mind necessarily underclassmen, but whatever. Are you we not do. wearing body paint to the game? To the press box? No, okay. we are not. Okay. We're gonna have a little discussion later about like the whole press box. Yeah, we like, need to. We'll get we'll get the rundown. That's okay. We'll, we'll save that for another time. But view availability and pricing at sweethop.com slash kickoff today. That's s u i t e hop.com slash kickoff. Okay, a lot of people. Had probably had some pretty good seats for for that game yesterday. Would have um, been a good day to have a sweet hop hookup right perfect. there. It's so hot. It was scorching hot. I, Laura Rutledge at one point tweeted that like the heat index was one twenty three or something, which I believe Is that uh, because I was there God. and it was it was uh, it was a sweaty one. We'll just say that. I'm sure. It was it was quite the scene though. I'll say that. So the way that it that it worked out, the the media hotel, which 
I ended up parking at because all the hotels, all the parking around the stadium was just completely maxed to the brim. Um, I, so I parked at the Media Hotel, which is down by SeaWorld. So we, like, um, C. Wright, Chris Wright, our editor, and I, we took essentially like a private bus shuttle from the hotel to the stadium. It was it was like it was like nice. It was like decked out on the inside with like oh, cool. the tables in there, like the leather chairs and stuff. It was pretty sweet. Um, nice little pun there. But so we pull up to the stadium and it's just a zoo. And I, I've been to games at Camping World Stadium before. Yeah. Like I, I've seen it from the outside. Like I saw it last year for Kentucky, Penn State, and the Citrus Bowl. I saw it last year with Bama and Louisville. Yeah, this was a different level. I mean, Miami fans—they were absolutely there in droves. I know we ha- we've made our jokes in the past about you know Miami fans are kind of fair weather. They only you know it's a private school. They don't really show up to home games as much. They were there. I mean, th- this place was packed with Miami and Florida fans. I thought there was a slight. Florida advantage, but just a really, so. really cool scene overall, I thought, from from week zero in college football and this big opener yeah. that everybody was getting excited for. And then the game itself was just like, oh, yeah. It started out so great. First first half of the it first did. quarter, it was like, oh, boy. And yeah. so I had a couple of buddies that were down there, and, and they're big Florida guys, and uh, they were sending me pictures of like trying to get into the stadium. They said, like, everything Nuts. you're saying, it, it was impossible to get in. Um, so yeah, the first quarter, I don't think there's anybody that's listening to this that's, unless we have Miami fans listening, that will honestly say that they weren't surprised about what Miami did on that first drive. Went right down the field on Florida, freshman quarterback was like four for four or five for five, went, just marched right down the field. Great game plan, Danny. You know, just get the ball out of Jaron Williams' hands as quick as possible. Get the ball on the edges. Really test some of the, the tackling abilities on the outside. Just super, super well-called right. first series. And then after that, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Oh, hell we- broke loose. Also, so, like, every single person I would think that knows anything about football knows that that's always the game plan. For, like, a freshman quarterback, like, you don't want to throw them into the fire. You want to get them comfortable, get them a few throws, get their confidence up. And that would that would be an advantage to almost anyone in the country except for Todd Grantham who's like, I don't care. I don't <laughs> care. We are bringing uh, the house. <laughs> Todd Grantham had such an on-brand night. It was great. It was fantastic. Like he, So Miami was in four third and four, third Seventeen. and 17s in the first like 18 minutes of the game. I tweeted that set out because it was like crazy. literally you look up and it's third and 17 every time. And Grantham is still like bringing the heat every single time, just doesn't care. And that, that was kind of the feel of the game. By the end of it, you're like, okay, how is Miami going to win this game by getting a pass interference in the end zone and then running it in like from the goal line? That was like the only way Miami was going to win because every single time you knew that Florida's front was just so overmatched yeah. with the Miami offensive line. That was prevalent. That was one of the things that everybody was pretty much right about in the pregame, knowing that Miami had four new starters in the offensive line. They had a freshman left, or a two freshmen. freshman left tackle, and then a, a redshirt freshman right tackle. And it was like, oh yeah, um, this is this is a battle. Florida and Todd Grantham are going to win every single time. And sure enough, like that, th- that that was what carried Florida. I mean, if they don't have that that dominant advantage, I mean, who knows what happens in that game. Yeah, and, and, I, and I don't mean this in a, in a condescending way or anything like that, but, like, and that still almost wasn't enough. Like, they had 10 sacks. They had 10 sacks in that game, which is, like, I, I don't know if, if enough has been made out of it or if enough can ever be made out of that set. That is a ridiculous 10 sacks. And Jaron Williams actually did, I thought, a pretty good job he, of escaping pressure. He played pressure. so well. He played, which like, is crazy. He outperformed Felipe, at least, especially in the first half, and... You know, like, there were some things that happened with Florida. Like, because, I mean, they, they did lose a couple guys up front that were, you know, 
very highly touted players coming out last year. And and I knew that Jabari Zuniga had like put up some pretty good stats, even though he wasn't in like a complete, you know, shining starter role. Um he is a monster. He oh, is awesome. a monster. Uh the secondary not as great as I thought it was going to be. I'll say this, though. Uh, Marco Wilson had a tough night, but C.J. Yeah. Henderson, the job He's that so the pass good. breakup that he had on Jeff Thomas in the end zone was fantastic. One of the, one of the, the, the key plays in that game, Miami potentially about to have a go-ahead touchdown right yeah. there. And at the last second, because Henderson was beat. I mean, he was beat on yeah. that play. And, 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 and Thomas made a nice move to come back to the ball, and he just got his hand in there to poke it in there and prevent what would have been a, a go-ahead touchdown in that spot. But, yeah, right. Florida, Florida definitely had some issues. There was That was the clear game plan early on when they were doing all those screens. It's like, all right, Florida should know it's coming. It's just a, screw, it's just a little wide receiver screen to the opposite side of whatever side C.J. Henderson's on because they didn't want to attack him. Why would they? I, agreed. And, and I don't want to, like – I don't want to, this is not going to turn into a Florida bashing session or anything like that. But one one thing that kind of had me thinking last night was they refused several times to bring their their arms to the point of attack and and trying to tackle anybody. And it was like honestly prevalent on both sides. But you didn't expect that necessarily out of Florida. I, I didn't think. Um, and it kind of made me think that's the same Grantham defense that we talked about that 2012 SEC championship game. And, and I don't know if it's like a fundamental thing. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And, and I do I do think that like. There was a lot of people that went into panic mode. Everyone, since we, like we've been waiting eight and a half months for this game, so everyone's an expert. Everyone wants to say like, "Well, Florida obviously sucks." And ball. I don't think it's time to panic or anything like that. I think everything that we talked about before this game, with the offensive line being a struggle, they didn't give up a single sack, which was yeah, that's true. really that's impressive true. with that front seven they were facing. But they also, I think they averaged one point nine three yards per carry, which was. The very, very uh, that was troubling. That yeah. that to me is 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 more of a, a is more of a concern. There were some In some the play things call. that, yeah. I mean, there are some things that you just kind of chalk it up to. All right, this is a season opener. You're going to work out the kinks. You feel like you're going to be able to improve. And then there are some other things like that where you're just like, okay, this is this isn't necessarily the best sign if you're supposed to be an elite team. I, yeah. It was sloppy all around too. I mean. You had 23 penalties for 225 yards. You had the offensive line play on both sides. To me, just wasn't good. No. And I know Florida didn't allow the sacks, but just their inability to really impose their line. Their their they got worse as the game went on. That's why they they try to get Lamichael Pirine so involved in the passing game instead of trying to run the ball with him. Go figure that Lamichael Pirine in this, this game. He had more catches than Trayvon Grimes, Kadarius Tony, Tyree Cleveland, and Van Jefferson combined. I know we combined. talk we talk about like how. Like, we don't want to be those guys that, like, question play calling. Obviously, Dan Mullen and that everyone on staff knows more about the game of football than I do, you do, and, and they're good at what they do. But I'm, I'm going to still question the play calling here because why in the hell, if you have that receiving core, it's one of the best in the entire country, and especially you saw what Tony did early. They got him the touches that you were talking about Ridiculous. last week in the over-under. Ridiculous, like, yeah. And, and then, so why is LaMichael Pirine... Why does he have the most receptions at the end of the game out of anyone else on your team? That kind of stuff I just thought was – there was a couple play calls that just seemed too – almost stubborn, not bland or vanilla, just stubborn. Mm-hmm. Like, this, like, we are going to make this work this way. And it just it, – it was not working. Yeah, and Dan Mullen clearly – you know, we talk about Dan Enos trying to get the ball out in space quickly out of Jaron Williams' yeah. hands. It felt really similar on Florida's side, too, where it was like Danny Nose, or not Danny Nose, Dan Mullen is really not trusting his offensive line to sit there and protect yeah. Felipe Franks. And go figure that when he finally does put him in that situation, it was with four minutes left in the fourth quarter, and Felipe throws that 
awful, awful oh, interception. Never mind. No, 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 no. Different okay, play. so he had he had he had the dime before that. The ball that he threw to Josh Hammond was like that 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 whole sequence just encompassed like peak Felipe, right? Where he throws that ball to to Josh Hammond, and it's just like it is on the money. I mean, that that's going to be whatever NFL draft film he has, like that that'll be there at the top of it, right next to that throw that he made against Georgia in the second half last year. Yeah. So. And then of course he he runs it into the end zone, and then he ends up. What is he? Like, he has a touchdown we'll, celebration. Where he, like, we'll talk about the, the touchdown and, celebration. It, so good the, God, the pick that Felipe threw, where from the press box from where we were sitting, we're watching this unfold, and everybody is surprised that he's dropping back, and we're like, wait, a minute, is this just some say sort that of boss again, play? Carter, say that again. Where everybody's surprised that he is dropping back in this scenario, where Florida is up by four, and with I think it was up by four with four minutes left. Put the, the game away. Point. Put the game away. Let your offensive line just go to work. Miami doesn't Trust have three, Michael P. Ryan. three timeouts. Yeah, gas, gas the defensive line. You, you should be able to run this out. And instead, you know, Mullen, which he said after, he took the blame for it and said it was his fault for, you know, having so much confidence. He wanted, you know, he had a lot of confidence in Felipe in that spot, which is interesting considering the, the way that game was called. And from where we're sitting in the press box, Felipe is looking like he's making this throw into just a triangle yes. of Miami defenders. Just a triangle of it. And sure enough, that's what ultimately happened. It wasn't even close. And I went, so after the game, you know, he said that he made that throw, like the throw was bad because he was hit. Lies. I went back and I watched the replay after he said that, like three different times. And I'm like slowing it down. And maybe he couldn't quite follow through as much. That's a pick 10 times out of 10. And it was a horrible decision on Felipe's part. And the fact that he didn't just. Well, he should have never been put in that situation, though. Shouldn't have been put in that situation. Shouldn't have made that read. Should have had the you know the presence of mind to be able to tuck it. What whatever he was going to do in that spot, but that was the wrong choice on on Mullen's part and on Felipe's that, part. And yeah. it was just such a such a strange sequence. And then of course what happened after with all you know we had fourth and thirty two where Miami's going for, it, and then Florida makes the costly pass interference. Which penalties. one? It's they, just like they had six they had so many penalties in the second half that were either unsportsmanlike or pass interference for fifth. Oh, and, and, and one thing like this, I'm gonna just show my ignorance here. We brought this up on the Facebook Live last night. I've been watching football for 30 years, and and I understand the rules. Kind of stuff. I don't. I still don't get, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe it's just because I was gambling on the game, uh, and I'm just being like biased about it. But if there is a holding call on the fake field goal, so the play is going to be negated. The play is coming back up. regardless. Mm-hmm. Why does a late hit out of bounds on the play that's going to be called back? Why does that take priority over the other flag and then be an automatic first down? That makes no sense. That was that was a, the, a very strange sequence, and like I, you just don't see that play out very much. But at the same time, you know, if that, if that's the rule, that's Florida shooting itself in the foot when they you're going to have a holding penalty that that calls it back, and then you do something stupid like that with a late hit out of bounds, where it was blatantly obvious well, right there, right on the sideline. It's like you, you can't do that in no. that spot. You still can't do it, regardless. Of in what the moment, is. I get it. Like you, you don't know there's going to be a holding call, but like it's a kicker. It's a kicker, first off. It's yeah. Bubba Baxa, and, and he Bubba. was like a full yard out of bounds. Like, and he, wasn't, he was like late to the whole group pursuing him. I, just, I was mainly disappointed with, with Florida for the, the game plan they had. It seemed like they, were, they had everything firing on all cylinders in the first half. They did everything that I, I was hoping they would do. Get the ball to Kadarius Toney. Get the ball to your playmakers. Felipe looks pretty good. The defense was, was making adjustments. And they just went away from it. They did everything they could, I thought, to like lose this game. And it was, it was they're so undisciplined. It was so it was so frustrating to watch. Saw the turnover chain a lot. Um, saw yeah. it on that weird play with Malik Davis, where 
Um, it was a little little option pitch, and Malik Davis looked like on the replay where he was down with the ball, and then he like fumbled it again. But in college, of course, if you're down with the ball at any point right. at all, oh, your knees down, you're just down. Florida and Dan Mullen didn't twice. Yeah, I don't know how Florida doesn't end up with that football, and also how Dan Mullen doesn't challenge that with how critical of a sequence that was. And he said after, he's like, you know, I just felt like that was going to be a call stands type situation in the heat of the moment. I just didn't think it was going to be enough to overturn it. And everybody's like, dude, that's one of those, you got to be able to have people up in the booth that are screaming down I, to you, hey, look, we, we need, on a turnover like that, that's that's definitely worth challenging, and I, I don't know why Mullen didn't really have that thought process, that sense of urgency. To the say, sense of urgency. Right, we need, it's the sense yeah. of urgency which is the issue, and I, like, I don't mean to cut you off, I just, it, there was so many things that, like, you, you saw moments where, like, Florida could be all of these things, and I feel like, and I don't mean this in a, in a rude way, that, that their fans have said they were going to be like this entire off season and, and the progression we saw from Franks and all that kind of stuff. They, I don't feel like they ever thought that Miami was going to beat them. I felt like they were overconfident Not at all. And, and they just were like, there was no sense of urgency. And, and it was just, it was really, it was surprising. It was surprising to me. And the stuff that like with Mullen, like first off, Florida did recover that fumble by two separate players on that play. That should have <laughs> never been called. I mean, the, and the, the officials, I'm not saying there were bad calls made late in the game, but they did make them their presence known a lot in that. In they that got game. so used to they got so used to throwing flags that they had two they, inadvertent flags at the end that they called off. They had well, they had the that last one was a which, flag too. Yeah, that probably could have gone either way. And then at the end, they're like, ah, no, like they had basically called flags on three straight plays, <laughs> three straight like awful pass interference penalties, and they were just throwing flags just because it's like, oh yeah, that's just kind of what we're used to doing at this point. The third, the third and thirty-four awful. one was like. It was just, I think I wrote, how in the F star, star, star do you do that? And somebody screenshotted this. Apparently Clay Travis wrote, how in the, and he actually said the words, like the same exact tweet. It was like, I just, every everyone, was, you know what it was like? It was like, remember that British Open where Jean Vandeville was like, just had to not sure. implode? No, it's like, it's a very famous, like like the late 90s or something like that. He, he had like a three-stroke lead in the final hole, and he like, Ended up going like in like the rough and then out of bounds in the water, and he got in the water. He like pull, pulled up, like took his shoes off, pulled up his pants, and tried to hit the ball out of the water. That's like exactly what like this whole Florida meltdown in the fourth quarter was like. How do you it's not like know that? Tin reference? cup. No, I thought it, I thought you were just saying the plot of Tin Cup. I, I don't know. No, that's I mean um, also pretty similar. This game for there, there, there's two different ways to look at this game, and I, I think Florida fans we we've already kind of seen them come out and basically address it. Um, one is just win, win by any means necessary, even if it's ugly. Great teams yeah. have to win ugly at times. I, I, I agree with, with that belief that, yes, great teams have to win when they don't have their fastball. Florida obviously did not have its fastball on, on Saturday night. I think we can say that with absolute certainty. And then there's the other side. There, there's, there's the other side of it where you could say, if you're really a great team, I mean, think of, think of the truly great teams that we've, that we've seen in, in this sport in the last few years. Yes, I realize a lot of that is Clemson and Bama, but do you let your guard down that much in a given game? Do you show that much weakness to where, I mean, Florida showed a lot of what teams can probably do to beat them, and that is 
apply that pressure. If you if you can get pressure on that offensive line up front, it, this is going to be this is going to be a tough year because Florida's not going to. I don't know if Florida's going to be able to impose their will against the the bulk of SEC East teams when you're looking at how much they struggled really against that Miami defensive line just to be able to run the football and establish that side of the yeah. game when they should have been able to do that down the stretch. And that to me is like a is a, is a troubling thing. And then you know with Felipe. I, we, we, we were kind of talking about in the offseason about has he turned this corner, the way that he finished the season, these final four games. And I talked with you know the likes of Kirk Herbstreet, Reese Davis, and Laura Rutledge about this subject at uh, availability on Friday. A lot of name dropping there. I realized that. But basically, I was kind of wondering, like, all right, what do you think now of Felipe? After all that we've seen of him, this roller coaster career... And you know they're kind of still they were still in wait and see mode a little bit with him and Laura Rutledge was was higher on him than than you know Herb Street and Davis but you know we're talking about somebody that had sort of represented that game it, it really in what it was oh, he was how the embodiment up and down of the whole thing was. yeah he embodied everything that was about that game and if that's just I think this is just the reality of what Florida kind of is and and they were last year too and I think that they're going to have a lot of moments this year where they just play down their competition. And it's frustrating, and you're gonna have to that. grind through a game. But I, the Felipe thing to me was was just baffling to watch all these different elements unfold and how, how quickly people change their opinions of, of him within the course of that game. So yeah, he I mean he did everything he could to. I, I made the joke on Twitter, and I didn't mean it like in as like I wasn't trying to be like a, a total a hole about it, but it was like I, I wish I was as committed to anything as he is to being unlikable, and and I mean that in like, dude, he really. He's got like a good background story, and he and he's like he's he's kind of got like plays with a chip on his shoulder because everyone doubted him, even though he had like great numbers last year. But every turn of that game, like just wait until the end of the game to go celebrate. Wait until the end of the game to talk trash. Like stop finding moments to get away from your team because it wasn't like he was carrying that team at all. Like if, if he had gone off for like four touchdowns and and zero interceptions and not made mistakes and and didn't get happy feet every time there was somebody blitzing him from the right side. That's one thing. That's not what he did. That touchdown made it seventeen to thirteen. That was it. And it was like what it was late in the third quarter where he, then he went over and he celebrated yeah. with he celebrated with the Florida fans and it looked like there was I don't want to put words in his mouth yeah. necessarily. We, we he was not mic'd up necessarily for that, but it looked like there was some sort of jawing with Miami fans. I, that, yeah, that's well, just and based apparently on what it was also with your, uh, with Florida fans. I don't I don't really get it, but like regardless, that kind of thing like where you're t- you're taking not that he's taking attention away from the team, but it's like dude, just like. There was a feeling, I, I thought, and again, maybe just because I was betting on it and did not think that Miami was going to be as, as, you know, as tough of a Competitive? Yeah, I yeah. mean, like, and you know, one thing, this is my own fault, is I, I totally, totally didn't even think about the Manny Diaz-Dan Mullen connection, and I don't know if that had something to do with it, and the Dan Enos thing, I, I do think Dan Enos is a better uh, Ooh, play caller. Ooh, how are you phrase this? Yeah, he's better than, I think he's a better offensive call, uh, play caller than, than what he called Grantham as a defensive play caller. Just flat out. Oh, interesting. And interesting. and so I, I just I, I don't know if I didn't do a good enough job of of thinking about all these things before the game, but you know the entire offseason, and we joke around a lot about how Florida Twitter has been and the overconfidence that came into it. There was part of me that was like, "This is kind of funny. This is this is about what I what I thought it was going to be." It, but here's the thing: even though that was my prediction in the offseason, and and who knows the, how the rest of the season is going to shape out, I don't think that. Florida is necessarily going to play down the competition the rest of the year. I don't think this game is going to be necessarily, no, not necessarily the rest of, every, of, the year. of how they play the rest of the year. It could be yeah, a blessing yeah. in disguise. Like, you mean, if if they went into Lexington two weeks from now way overconfident like they did this weekend, that could be a recipe for disaster. And I think hopefully this is something that kind of 
wakes them up a little bit. But but what was what was frustrating to me was I never got the feeling that they thought they were in a dogfight. I, I I think every time they went ahead, it was like, okay, yeah, now we can just coast again. And and I think the main reason I feel that way is because of Felipe Franks well, Felipe and it, yes, yeah. the entire time. And, and that's, this, that's I do part this. of the Sir, he just threw an interception like four minutes later. And that's part of the scrutiny that he still in year four of his career doesn't seem to fully get. Like he had a couple moments in the post game where he got a little bit short with media. And I'm not like gonna sit here and attack a kid because, you know, it's fifteen minutes removed from yeah. just winning an emotional game against an NCAA rival, all of those things. I, I get it. Like he he's a competitor, he is who he is. In the heat of the moment, he does things that if you're a Florida fan, they're gonna make you roll your eyes. Like that, that Maybe, that's not yeah. changing. And we talk, you know, we everybody saw the Marty Smith story on game day with the maturation of Felipe Franks. It's something that we've talked about a lot. And I just think he kind of is who he is. And yeah, I don't think that's gonna ever gonna who change. He is, yeah. I don't think he's ever gonna be this guy who just throws seventy percent accuracy and just says and does all the right things at every single given moment. And I just think that like that's going to carry throughout this season. And I think at moments, that's just going to be a source of frustration with Florida fans. Yeah. And while they might have thought that they were kind of out of the woods in that department, this game served as a reminder of like, look, this dude is not perfect. And he's not going to be, he's not going to be considered one of these like great all-time Florida quarterbacks, and, or at least thought about in the same exact way just because of all the frustration he can cause within the flow of a game and all the mistakes that he can potentially make. Obviously, he has next-level ability with his arm. The throw that he had to Josh Hammond was beautiful. It was ridiculous. I mean, unbelievable. That, that, that is something that few guys in the country can do, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. And that's part of what Dan Mullen has just come to accept with him it's, you're going to take the good with the bad with Felipe. And that's why Mullen didn't even come out and really scold him for you know, the anymore. whole... He's, he's, he is loyal to Felipe. I don't want to say to a fault, but he has accepted him in ways that I think Florida fans haven't really yet. Like, I know some of them, you know, there are Florida well, fans who are coming out... It's not just Florida fans. It's, it's all fans. The general public. You, yeah. You're right. You're right. It's not just Florida fans. That's a great point. And he's, I think that there are people that were like... You know, are we going to see Emory Jones in the second half? It's like, no, no. That, that was not, a whole not at this point. thing, too. People, not people at this already point. asking for Manny Diaz to be fired and people saying to get Emory Jones. Oh, really? Game. Oh, my God. Well, it's Twitter, so it doesn't really matter. But, like, yeah, I mean, the thing with the thing with, with Franks, and I, I just kept saying this to Allie when we were watching, I was like, it was the only words that kept coming to mind were maddening and frustrating because it's just like, this is who he is. And, and there's some players that, that can kind of wear that as, like, a badge of honor and, and kind of, you know, be this villain that, like, that's how they – I don't know. Like that's that's where they like that's their go to for like when they have to turn it on, and it's like you know Draymond Green, I guess, or if you know, or the 1998 yeah. British Open winner. I'm kidding, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, and so like I I, I know I don't want to say that he is has become like the villain of the SEC. I think he kind of wore that last night, especially with because it's that game is under a microscope. It's the only game like you know we've been. It's the first game of the year. But his antics were a little bit over the top, and and it was just you know it's it's one thing though if you if you take the lead and you don't give it up, and not only mm-hmm. you do not give it up, but you also don't throw an interception after that, then then I'm fine with it, dude. Just be as brash. He's 21, 22 years old. I get. Yeah, I keep was your the foot worst. on the gas, like against Michigan and, yeah. and Florida State, like those games. If it, if he does that, like we're talking about this in a totally different Love way. It. That's obviously not what Love happened. It. Yeah, just it, but other than that, like it, it it's a bad look if it doesn't work out that way. And and there was. There was several times in that game last night where Miami Miami did they didn't I won't say they did the right things to win that game because they had 13 they had 14 penalties which was 
My, I, I don't even know how you... A lot know. of pre-snap. A whole lot that of is my penalties. least favorite yeah. thing in the world. People that do Borat impressions and pre-snap penalties. It was... <laughs> I, like, I was losing my mind. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, just... It was, it was like, a, like, there was no willingness to just... To take the game. Take control of the game. Just put it away. After the interception that he threw, uh, Sprayer gave us the gift of the year. Oh, man. It, that, that is an all-time gift. I mean, the look that he had on his face was just kind of said it all for how Florida fans probably felt in that moment. And I think with with Felipe, it's complicated. There's this conflict with, I think he has a, such a strong desire to want to be liked and want to be embraced oh. in a way. I, I think that he, I, I really truly believe that he has this desire to want to be universally liked. And I think That's that he... Acts out. And, and no, I, and I think that he, when he's not, I think that it frustrates him. And I think that he feels like, I think that, that there's this this conflict of him like wanting to prove doubters wrong, yeah. but also at the same time want to be this this guy who's like celebrated and like Florida fans just go to bat for this guy and and you know they they appreciate him so much. And it, it's strange because you could look around the conference and somebody like Joe Burrow, who Joe Burrow with LSU fans like. I, I, you won't hear an LSU fan say a bad thing about him, and they'll right. go to bat for him. And anybody that, that that talks crap about him on Twitter, LSU fans are going to stand up for, and they're going to you know let him have it. And Felipe, it's just different. And I get that part of it is because he did the whole shushing of the crowd thing last year, and the way that he handled all that, and his career has just been this this roller coaster. But at the same has time, has it though? He it, it I mean, has like, been. He wears it like this, like almost like this this petulant child of like like where he's constantly upset and like defiant and there's not really a reason to like Felipe if you're listening I can tell you right now for most of the offseason Florida fans were defending you and singing your praises about how great you're yeah, gonna be true. people have said you were gonna be a Heisman like a, a Heisman uh, candidate possibly like I've been I've been critical of him and and I, again this this one game isn't gonna define his whole season but it, it was it's just like I'm a pretty big a-hole but like it's not <laughs> not in these moments like you have to pick your time like if you're doing well, then yeah, be confident and arrogant and whatever, and like rub it in. But when you're playing in the like the the game that he was playing, ooh. I think I, I think it's just tough because if Felipe was a defensive back, we wouldn't be talking about him. Obviously, well, like yeah, we wouldn't be talking yeah. about his we wouldn't be talking about his off the field stuff as well. It's just the way that he like you know go and high five in the crowd. Like we wouldn't be we're 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 saying this because it's a quarterback and we compare. We're like would Jake Fromm ever do something like that? Would Tua ever do something like that when they take a seventeen to thirteen lead in a game where they haven't played well in? No, of course not because Felipe is judged and in a different. Continue sense. to do it more than one time. That's the exactly. thing. Exactly, and Felipe doesn't fully grasp that yet no. still, and that's, that's why I say. Thing. That's why I say I just kind of think he is what he is at this point. I think Mullen has, like, that was the furthest thing from Mullen's mind of, like, oh, I just had, like, a quarterback go high-five a bunch of fans. Like, whatever. Like, I'm not going to concern myself with that. Felipe is his own – he is his own person. He's going to do these things that frustrate Florida fans. And I just I, – I think Mullen has just come to grips with it in a, in a different way. That's not yeah. to say he's going to tolerate everything and that he's just going to be this enabler for everything that Felipe wants to yeah, do. Yeah, I don't think that. But at that. the same time, like, I, I think that this is just kind of his situation. He's accepted it, and he's going to do what he can to try and put him in the best best position to win games for this Well, and, and one more thing before we move on for that. What you just said, that needs to happen from Mullen's side because Felipe Franks didn't have a great game last night, but I don't think he was put in a position where he could have – like had a great game. The third and eight call where they ran like a QB power like late in the game, like the fourth quarter. That looked like a miscommunication. It a had, I would hope so. But like... It was weird. Like, it just... 
I hate to beat a dead horse, but just get the damn ball to Kadarius Tony. Like, just get the in the air. Let Felipe Franks throw him out of his hand, overhand, right? All mm-hmm. the times. All the times. Let him hear throw him. a football to Kadarius Tony. From the game, and probably you could hear this too in Atlanta, did you hear our good buddy Luke Del Rio yelling at his TV from California? Uh, I, yeah, that, I'm was sure. loud and clear. How did we Shout talk out about Luke. this for 30 minutes, by the way? This is- I know. Jeez, that, that took up that took up a lot of time. There was a lot of stuff to get to though, and I think when it's we, we knew this was how it, it was gonna be. And I'm not I'm not burying Florida by any stretch no. of the imagination. I know people are already like we've had a lot of different angles on this Florida game on SDS. It, to everybody who has contributed to, to the content that we've had, I think we've tried to really present all sides of this and not just say like, look, Florida's done. Florida's not gonna be able to 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 you know get to where it wants to go this year just because of one game. That, At yeah. the same time, there are still troubling things about this team that obviously needs to be fixed. And it's a good thing that Florida's got three bye weeks this season. That's, yeah, that's no, all agreed. That. That's such an ignorant take too that people have. Look, and again, we'll move on after this for real. But like, that's that almost made it more frustrating to see the struggles because Georgia fans, of course, came out of the woodwork about how obviously course, Florida yeah. sucks and blah blah. It's like this again. This one game is like, it's indicative of where I thought they would be going into the season. But to be honest, like the offensive line stuff, I don't know if that's a simple fix. But the offensive game plan, that's a simple fix. Get the ball to your playmakers and put Felipe Franks in positions like to where he can succeed and not like running for his life and trying to throw the, the bottle to Michael P. Ryan out of the backfield. Pour gasoline. Oh, no, not pour, but put gasoline on Kadarius Tony and let him get the ball Good and not God. get tackled. That kid that is amazing. electric, man. He's fun. Off the field. Big off the field news uh, that we got Friday. It wasn't quite a, a Friday news dump. It was earlier in the day, but... We found out that Mississippi State is uh, has been levied some sanctions from the NCAA for academic fraud. And Mizzou fans, their ears perked up immediately because they saw that there were 10 players from the football team involved in this. I think it was like one football or like one basketball, one softball or something like that. I don't, I can't remember what it exactly was. But basically, they, they had a tutor that was... That was taking tests, doing the falsifying grade, the whole the whole right. deal. You know, we've been we've been down this road before. Found out that Mississippi State got three years of probation, loss of four scholarships over a two year period, but they did not get a bowl ban. And Mizzou fans are all like, "Hey, why did Mississippi State avoid this bowl ban, and why did we get one?" And the explanation that we were given was essentially Mississippi State struck a plea deal with the NCAA. Whereas Mizzou's tutor, who was like the one responsible for you know this went academic rogue. fraud, basically like went rogue and told the NCAA about everything. So and then Mizzou did that too, in mind, Right, right. So even with that in mind, like Mizzou fans have every right to be upset, and Mississippi State fans are obviously like they're as as of this recording, we don't know the players who are going to be suspended uh, for you know for this season. There's reported that there's going to be 10 players suspended. We don't know how long or, or what exactly this is all going to entail. But I think that this just kind of just shows you that the NCAA is just shooting from the hip uh, in every it's, stretch. That, and that's a, such a nice, nice way for you to phrase it, Connor. And I'm going to phrase it <laughs> a different way. And it's just, it's yet another example that they are just making it up as they go. And none of it matters. They don't, this, there's not, they are not looking out for the best interests of student athletes, for the game of, of college football or college basketball or any of those things it is it is one of the most poorly run organizations i have ever seen and and i've like have you ever been to a popeyes i went to a popeyes on saturday did i didn't get the sandwich? sandwich i did Damn the chick-fil-a it, popeyes yet. sandwich oh my gosh i am a chick-fil-a apologist through and through you know that's real quick side rant here i am a chick-fil-a apologist everybody knows that 
But I, I had the sandwiches side by side. I'm not even a mayo guy, and they put mayo on that Popeye sandwich. But that 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 is like the best fast food chicken sandwich that I have that I've had. It is phenomenal. Deep. Anyway, is really back good. to stuff that matters. Um, I, I'm I'm glad you got to go because I honestly like this thing's like been like all over social media for the past couple of weeks. And been in line for a half hour. There's yeah, no Popeyes crazy. like within walking distance from me. I've I've eaten Chick Fil A like every other day since this craze started. So yeah. I guess it's working for both. Anyway, um, no, I mean, like, I we've talked about this before. We talked about it with TJ Mo, and, and I still think the bowl ban's going to get lifted just because, man, I tell you what, call me crazy, but I'm a big believer in common sense, just prevailing. Crazy. Crazy. Um, I, the Mizzou stuff is just, it's ridiculous. And it's, if every way you look at it, and again, I don't know all the ins and outs of each, of each uh, I guess, incident, but everything that's been presented to us so far, it seems like, it was either the same or at least not worse than what happened at Mississippi State. And it's also more recent at Mississippi State, too. Yep. Way more recent. It was way more a previous, recent. previous regime that all this stuff uh, with Mizzou happened, happened during the, the Gary Pinkle era. And we're, we're talking about stuff that was part that happened while Moorhead, you know, Moorhead's obviously still there. So, what, that, yeah, that was the Mizzou stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, I think the, the Mississippi State was during the 2018 19 school year when all this stuff happened in the Mizzou. So era. now. Yeah, basically, basically now, and you know, I don't know necessarily. Like, all right, does this all come back to Moorhead? Because like, Moorhead doesn't like sit there and hire tutors and stuff. Obviously, this is under his watch. This isn't the best look for the AD as well. But at the same time, we're kind of just left wondering what in the world like constitutes these severe punishments because it's just it's, just, it's so all over the place. And you know, Mizzou had this this bull ban that just came out of nowhere and we still don't have a ruling on it whereas this we found out immediately, immediately. because of this plea and the, and the, so, it's basically like so if mizzou had just been like not forthcoming with the ncaa just held all of it the, that tutor doesn't right. come out and, and say like here's what i did and here's how this or they fought school, it yeah if they had just fought it does that mean, or if they had settled on a plea deal, that means that Mizzou wouldn't have a bull ban? Like, that doesn't make sense. Mizzou has been more transparent about what happened than almost any other school that's going through this in recent memory. They, it's they, they assume, like, and, and well, here's what bothers me the most about this, and this is just me being an irrational person and getting upset about stuff I'm not in control of. Don't tell <laughs> me the sky is green when it's obviously blue. Like, do, like, don't lie to me. Don't tell me that I'm crazy when, like, just tell me the truth. And the NCAA just says they hide behind so many BS, like little facades of like, I don't know, like valor and, and academic like nobility. It, it's ridiculous. And so when you when you say that like, well, they they were forthcoming and Mississippi State reported it and blah, blah, blah. It, it wasn't like as soon as Mizzou heard about it, they brought all the evidence to the NCAA and like and outed themselves for everything. And this was this was something that they didn't know was happening because she was she was the one that was reaching out to players trying to do this like for money. It's just I I'm so tired of the NCAA just to be honest not giving fans or schools or universities or athletes what they deserve. And that's not about money. That's about like like the right doing the right thing. Yeah. If you don't, so I mean, like we're not we're not going to pretend like we're the world's best experts on this subject. Like we know I enough, am. We know that we know the ball points. I've but seriously, on mini tests. <laughs> If if you're looking for more like more insight, just to po- like comparing the Mizzou to MSU situations, and I understand that's not what this is all about. Obviously, and like this isn't this isn't a good look necessarily for Mississippi State. But if you are interested in that, 
Go, go give TJ Mo a follow on Twitter. Yeah. The, the former Mizzou receiver, gritty Mizzou receiver, who we had right. on the, we've had on this podcast. We had him on right after the NCAA, uh, the NCAA penalties that came down on, in this offseason. He knows so much. He went on Fine Bomb and talked about it too. Just very, very insightful about how this whole situation has gone down. But it, it is strange and it's sad to. to it is. It's sad and strange to see these these headlines that that just you know just make you scratch your head and just kind of wonder what. No, what they don't make me scratch here. my head. They make me yell out loud into the abyss because it's so ridiculous and it's just not fair. It's, I mean, it's, that's the bottom line. It's just not fair. One more Mississippi State thing that we have to hit on, as we alluded to in the open, Tommy Stevens has been named the starter at Mississippi State. We found out that in addition to that, Keaton Thompson is in the transfer portal, as I predicted during our summer hot takes, or it was fall camp hot takes, whatever it was. But that came basically in the time frame that we thought it was going to. We had said on the last podcast we thought that, or two podcasts ago, that we thought Moorhead was going to have a decision on this really, really soon. He was going to outwardly name a starter uh, at least a week in advance before the opener. And I just, I've like I've been saying, I've just been getting the vibe ever since Stevens showed up there. Yeah, that he's just been doing everything in his power to win that job. And I think I, I truly believe that Moorhead brought him there to say, "Look, we're going to have a true battle. We're going to see who takes the reins of this thing and who really looks like somebody that I can build an offense around." Yeah. And I just don't think that Keaton Thompson developed as a passer the way that he was hoping to. That was all everything that that Moorhead has said. And I've always said that he's super transparent in the way that these things go. But I just think that he really felt like Stevens was a guy who was going to be a passer who can run and not yeah. a runner who can who can pass. And that's that to me is the the big difference. And I feel bad for Keaton Thompson because look, this is somebody who beat Lamar Jackson in his final college game. Like let let's not forget that Keaton Thompson came in in that tax layer bowl and like he, he outplayed him. Let I mean, go back and watch world. it. He was good in that game. He had he had obviously moments where he struggled, but I, I still believe that Keaton Thompson can be a starting Power 5 quarterback. I don't know necessarily where really? that is. I don't necessarily that's going to be in 2019, obviously. But I still think that he has that that ability in the right system. But Moorhead's system was ultimately not the system that he was going to be able to succeed in. Right. Moorhead feared this deja vu of last year where, th- picture this scenario, Keaton Thompson is named the starter. He struggles. Once again, Moorhead's offense doesn't look good. It doesn't perform as well as he says it's going to. And then he's going into year three on the hot seat. And he right. didn't want that. And he was willing to take that risk, even though Stevens is a one-year guy. And now he has a quarterback room that has three guys that he has handpicked. And he feels like they are capable of running his offense. Garrett Schrader's a guy that they're excited about as well. So I think that, that Moorhead has a lot more clarity now with his situation going forward. And he feels like he really has his identity on this team. Rant yeah. over. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any anything close to um, as much as that to weigh in on for this. Oh, this is like, I thought this was like a rap battle. You're going to go um, back. And, abs- yeah, top, abs- I will starter. lose that rap battle every time when it comes to Mississippi State quarterback play. No, I mean, so I was just I was confused because one of the things I said about it was I, I've I've never thought just from a statistical standpoint. I know he had the seven touchdowns in that first game of the year last year. I think it was against Stephen F. Austin or something like that, or sure, somebody yeah. like first game of the year. I mean, seven touchdowns in a game. I don't care who you're playing. That's really impressive. Um, I thought at the very least what this was going to do was was create a, you know a better competition. They're going to each raise their play, and and he would be able to learn from Tommy Stevens, who's been in this offense for you know or more familiar with it maybe than, than Thompson, even though he wasn't at Mississippi State last year. I I was just surprised because it I, I don't I don't know all the ins and outs of it obviously, but I it almost seems like instead of accepting that challenge like to compete, it. He chose the opposite, and I'm not just, I'm not just saying that because he's going to transfer, but it just never really, 
I feel like that Moore had expected more out of out of Thompson, and I was a little bit surprised that it happened that quick. And like, not that it's not the right choice for him. I, I don't know if he's good enough to be a, a power five starting quarterback somewhere, but you know, I, I just I was surprised that it happened that that quick, right before the season. Yeah, I um I, I didn't see this unfolding when we were talking about this back in April. Obviously, you know, I was saying I, we had we had said you know I obviously gave myself credit for predicting in the summer that I thought that, that Stevens was going to be the guy and that Thompson yeah. was going to transfer. But uh, back in April, you know, I said that, that Keaton Thompson was going to be one of those guys who was going to be, uh, he was going to be the starter and we weren't going to find out until like fall camp, but it was like yeah. pretty obvious that he was going to be the guy and things took a different turn for him. And, and it's a shame because, you know, the accuracy is ultimately what held him back. I mean, right. we're talking about somebody who has completed, I think less than 50% of his yeah, passes like are very close to it. And that's something that if you're a head coach and you just struggled with, with an inefficient, inaccurate quarterback last year, you just don't want to run that back. And I yeah. think that's what this came down to. So Mississippi State will look like a, a much different team this year. Um, who knows how this is I don't like all y'all northerners through. coming down here and trying to take over our damn <laughs> conference either. Uh, who knows how uh, the, the suspensions and all that, that that's happening with, with that is going to impact this team. But it uh, should be interesting, needless to say. So... Let's get to know some week one opponents for the SEC. Now, when we say get to know, we're talking about teams that are not in the SEC. So, like, we're not going to talk about Georgia yeah. and Vandy. Like, we've talked about Georgia and Vandy enough. They're playing each other in week one. And we're obviously not going to talk about the week zero matchup anymore because we've talked about that for a long time. But we broke down one interesting thing, or maybe a couple, whatever. We probably have more than one nugget here. Uh, that we found interesting about each SEC team's week one opponent. Do you want to start or shall I? Yeah, so, I mean, here's here's basically what we did was we, we were going over the topics earlier today, and and I knew that we couldn't only only talk about Mississippi State stuff. It couldn't be like that Mississippi State heavy. So I was and like, Florida. you know what, how can I, how can I, yeah, we did talk a lot about Florida. Um, how can I just sneak in some some research I've been doing for gambling picks uh, and disguise it as actual work? So, Get to know your enemy. This is just some like you know little tidbits, some stats and info about the um, each non-conference team they're playing. SEC teams are playing in week one. I wish that I would have uh, done a better job of of haggling with you about which teams we assigned because I had to do Portland State. Oh, Portland State's fun. Yeah, they they get smacked by every FBS team they've ever faced. Even Rutgers, I think, beat them pretty bad a few years ago. I you see. I don't know anything about Rutgers Rutgers history, um, but. When Rutgers wins a game, you remember it. <laughs> that is that is actually a very good point. Um, so yeah, Arkansas opens up with with Portland State. So we'll just give you some some quick little notes about about each team, and I'll start, I guess, with Portland. Hold on, State. real quick. If you make one reference to Portlandia, I'm walking off. No, right, um, Allie's late father was a was a uh, what do you call it? A professor or a teacher there? That's pretty cool. Outside of that, don't know anything about the school. Not a lot to really. Uh, they're the Vikings. That's I was cool. going to say, do you know their mascot? I, yeah. So, and again, the FBS thing, the, it was hard to find their stats because they're an FCS team and they're terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, they're la- they played three FBS teams last year and they lost by an average uh, score of 51 to 13. They gave oh. up 62 points to Oregon and 72 to Nevada. Um, why, do say, why don't say it like that? What, Nevada? You know it's Nevada. You know it's no, Nevada. it's not. It's Nevada. Nevada? No, it's, not Nova- it's not Nevada. It's Nevada. I think you could just say either. Also, neither one of us are from that state. Everybody from Chicago, will, you're just saying that. Everybody will correct you on that. Go ask anybody from Nevada, and they'll correct you on that. Okay, I'm not going to do that. But anyway. Do it. Um, Portland State, 
uh, or Portland, Port, Portland, Portland. Um, Portland. So, <laughs> yeah, they were pretty bad last year. Uh, they were three and seven. I, again, try to look up the stats. According to ESPN, their top top defensive tackler last season had 16 total tackles. No, that's not. Okay. It cannot be. It cannot that's be accurate. Right. But that's that's, that's literally all I could find, and then I quit. So that is that is getting to know your enemy for Arkansas. Uh, there's Portland State. You're up. Okay, that was good. That was really good stuff. This is how we we're providing the people with very insightful stuff that's yeah. going to help them with gambling. Although I don't think that there's going to be a spread on that game. There's not a spread on that game. Yeah, that's FCS. Yeah. Um, that's probably a good thing, though. Probably a good thing. Um, all right. Mississippi State's week one opponents, Louisiana. Somebody that we've talked about on this here podcast recently because Billy Napier. Billy Napier actually asked yeah. me to give the Alumni Association 50 bucks before <laughs> I mentioned his team. Uh, I opted against that. I said, no, you can't make me do that, Billy Napier. Okay, so Louisiana, in all seriousness, they have been outscored 208-67 to by SEC teams in the last two years. They're 0-4 in those games. They lost to the likes of Mississippi State, Alabama, A&M, and Ole Miss. In other words, they are the classic, here is your money, take your beating, yeah. bye-bye. Um, but this is of note. They got two running backs, Trey Ragas, Ragas, we'll call it that, and Elijah Mitchell. They are both preseason Doak Walker Award watch list candidates. Get this. Last year, from scrimmage, they combined for 2,736 yards and 26 touchdowns. That's wow. pretty good. That's yeah, pretty it's good. really good. Very active in running and passing. They got a new quarterback, though. So, um, And Mississippi State whipped the dog crap out of them last year. So, dog uh, crap. Yeah, I just wanted to say something nice about that. So, um, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you take the next one? Okay, um, let's see here. I don't want to give like, all the good ones yet. Let's do, okay, Georgia Southern, who's playing LSU. This one's pretty oh, interesting which to me so because... it's so confusing because there's Georgia Southern is playing an SEC team and so is Georgia State, which I'll yeah. get to them later. Yeah, so um, State, not Southern. Southern, not State. That's that's what they always say down here. Mm-hmm. Um, so Georgia Southern, they still run the triple option. They were a 10-win team last year. They returned 14 starters. They had the... Uh, so this is why this is interesting for me from a gambling standpoint. This over-under was set at 60 originally. It's come all the way down to 53. Whoa. That's a massive, massive change. Um, and also, LSU's, I, I don't know the line like off the top of my head, but LSU, hold on. LSU's a 28-point favorite, and that's gone up from, like, that's gone up four points, and the over-unders come down seven points, which is weird. Anyway, they had the, they averaged the slowest tempo in all of FBS last year with one snap every 33 seconds. Probably why the under dropped down so much. They were seventh overall in the country in rushing offense with 255 yards per game. Also run the ball 85% of the time on offense because they're a triple option team. Um, They were number one in the country in turnover margin uh, with plus 22, which is incredible. Quarterback Shy Wirtz, who was recently um, not in trouble for cocaine because there was bird poop on his car. Oh, yeah. That was a great story. That whole crazy story. He had 25 total touchdowns last year uh, and was the only quarterback in the entire country for FBS that did not throw an interception. And your best Whoa. stat, Chad Lunsford. He's the head coach. It's his third season there, okay? They were 2-10 and ten his first year. They went 10-3 and three last year. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. Probably because he had a just incredible, incredible elite education from Georgia College and State University. He also graduated from alma mater. That's one of the six colleges you went to? Yeah, well, I went to two. Also, we didn't have a football team, so I don't understand how he got this job. That's amazing. Yeah, that's very impressive. Yeah, the, we'll talk about this when we do picks later in the week. But 
um, I remember looking at that game thinking the under would make a lot of sense and, and how with LSU's new offense, it wouldn't be surprising if it stayed a little bit closer. Yeah. They're trying not to show as much ahead of the Texas game. All of those things. That could explain why the over-under came down from 60 to 53 and a half. But still significant. Absolutely significant. Yeah. All right. Ole Miss's week one opponents. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. I got Memphis beating Ole Miss. Um, that's not news because Crystal Ball is already out there. But um, sticking to that one, I actually picked Memphis as my group of five team to go all the way to the New Year's Six. And Memphis fans, let me hear it for that. Not in a good way. They're like, hey, you don't know anything about our team. How dare you say that? How dare you say that our eight-win team last year that uh, kind of struggled down the stretch and really struggled defensively is going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl? Why would you ever say that? And, well, I cited to them. I, I like Brady White, their quarterback, who I've seen play just a couple times, a couple times here and there, and, you know, maybe I haven't caught enough of him yet to get the full, full-on, full like, year-long perspective yeah. of him, but whatever. So they come in to this season ranked number 7th in the country in percentage of returning production. Yeah. That's overall, which is really, really good. And that's considering that they lost Daryl Henderson, who was, you know, very highly touted tailback and so is good. now in the NFL. Playing for, he's playing for the Rams, I think, too, right? I have no idea. I think he is. Um, I think he's backing up Todd Gurley. Um, but anyway, he have like eighteen hundred yards rushing or something stupid. Yeah, that had a really, really good year. Yeah, but um, you know, I I come back to the to the belief with them and why I'm so high on them going into this year. Just all the close losses that they had. They should have beat UCF when UCF had yeah. Mackenzie Milton. That was a game that they just completely blew down the stretch. And, and as a team that, that with Mike Norvell has just had a lot of offensive potential the last few years. And I think that they finally have the schedule that sets up really well. And with yeah. this Ole Miss team, as we've talked about a lot, with the inexperience that they have on the offensive side of the ball, um, I, I think that this serves as a, a nice showcase for the, for the Memphis offense. I realize I'm kind of getting into picks a little bit too much. I'm not going to yeah, have a whole lot left. All right, I'm going to hold back. Just then. tidbits. Rant over on Memphis. Done. Um, Good, because i got a lot of stuff about Toledo. Yeah, baby. What do they have? Mac. They have the Rockets? Oh, yeah. There's a, they have the Zips and the Rockets in the same same conference. Anyway, so Toledo, uh, here's a stat for you, had a plus 8.2 yards per drive stat for field position advantage. Something I found in a Lindy's or whatever. Why don't y'all explain what that means to, I'm not, to us? I'm absolutely not going to do that. So I, I don't okay. have no idea what it means. Uh, it's basically okay. like special teams, like field position and like offensive efficiency. So where the difference in like where you're starting from and, and your team's like the other team's starting from. Um, that was number one overall in the, in the entire country last year. So that's pretty impressive. Sick brag. Sick yeah. brag for them. Um, they averaged 40 points per game last year, which was ninth. And they were ninth overall in uh, scoring offense in the country. However, good news for Kentucky, they were 84th in scoring defense. They gave up 30.5 points per game, and they were 103rd in the country in pass defense, which is hopefully going to like mean well for, for neighbor Terry Wilson and uh, Lynn Bowden. Bowden. Um, here is what's interesting about from the gambling perspective. 54% of the total bets uh, are on Toledo, and 68% of the total money is on Toledo. Mm. Which is so the sharps, uh, and also the sharps are on the under too, and probably one of the reasons why is Kentucky. That lines come down like a point and a half down to twelve. Kentucky is one and seven against the spread in their last eight week one games. Go one. One could say the Rockets like playing in shootouts. I'm not the first You're person to say that. I'm, okay, I'm just going to show myself out. Hold on. Um, so hold on. I want to make sure we record this because that guy yesterday on Twitter, I'm still affected by this, who said he likes your jokes more than mine. That was oh man. I enjoy Hope that. you're listening, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Hope 
Hope you're not jotting that, that joke down that I just made. That All right, I'm going to stop with the Southern accent, too. It's fading quickly. Mizzou takes on Wyoming week one, the much-anticipated Mizzou debut of Kelly Bryant. Not talking Kelly Bryant, though. We're talking kicking. Wyoming, fun fact, has a better kicker than Alabama. Dude, everyone Roth. does. Cooper Roth? Roth? Roth. I'm going to say Roth. It's spelled R-O-T-H-E. Nevada. It's definitely Rath. Nevada. Don't, don't. All right. It's Focus. Nevada. It's 100% Nevada. Cooper Roth was a Groza Award finalist last year, which pretty impressive because only three guys get to do that, and he's returning back for this year. Led the country in field goal percentage. He made 16 of 17 kicks. Pretty good. And, hey, unlike Bama kickers, he did not miss an extra point. So if that game comes down to a field goal, which I absolutely think it won't, Wyoming is in pretty good shape. It's like, remember in the office when uh, Michael has Dwight look up all those facts? I was just about, about to like, say that, yeah. So She's got a couple it. extra hundred dollars uh, if she <laughs> sold this bike. Um, okay, yeah, good. Next level stuff there. Dogging Alabama um, for this Mizzou-Wyoming game. Hold on. So next, I guess we'll do Texas State, which doesn't sound interesting, but it definitely is. And let me tell you why. Texas State returns 19 starters from last year's team, which oh, is yeah. second overall in FBS uh, in Phil Steele's experience chart and ranking. So that's good. Um their head coach is Jake Spavital. Spavital. Former A&M, yeah. Yeah, so he was the OC at A&M from 2013 to 2015, so he was he was there for Manziel's last year, and he's also the OC at West Virginia uh, from 2017 to 2018, so like last year's with Will Greer. He's like 33. He's one of the youngest coaches in, in college football. Um, okay, they, they were ranked <clears throat> 82nd or worse in all four major defensive categories last year. Oh, which that does not bode well against you know, the offense they're going to be going up against in College Station. However, currently 43% of the bets are on Texas State at plus 33.5, but 77% of the overall money is on them. That's a 35% difference, and that's the most out of any game in the entire country besides Notre Dame Louisville. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so there's that. 30% of the bets and 50% of the total money are on the under as well, and the under is 6-1 in their last seven games. Uh, also, fun fact, A&M is 5-0 and against the spread in their last five Week 1 games. Go. Wow. Okay. Um, I don't really have that good of a, of a nugget for, for South Carolina against UNC. Return of the Mac, you know I love to say that. Oh, I'm yeah. probably going to listen to that song like eight times over just for the heck of it. Um, Phil Longo is the UNC offensive coordinator. <laughs> We never told this story. We said we were going to, and we never did. We, you, you, definitely you, um, have kind of found yourself in a little bit of a Phil Longo catfish. Phil right Longo now. 100% thinks that I played f- uh, football for him, and I don't know why. Because he, 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 he messages me randomly, and it'll be like, it'll like, he'll send us like a recruiting graphic, and I'm like, looking, looks good, coach. Because like, I don't know what to say, but like, I don't want to not say anything. And then he's like, yeah, you. You still, do you get picked up yet? And I'm like, what in the hell is he talking about? He thinks you're a free agent. He thinks, yeah, I which mean, which you are. technically I am. I don't, I mean, I don't, yeah, so no one tell him if you, if you, if you come into contact with Phil Longo, but you know, what, what just a, a, a constantly aware coaching staff with Mac Brown and Phil Longo who thinks that, I don't know, I mean, you, you texted me that one day you're like Phil Longo in the DMs. Phil Longo, of course, you know former Ole Miss offensive coordinator who made the change to to, to UNC this offseason. And you text me that DM, and I'm like, wait a minute, are you telling me that he really doesn't know? Like, 
Because, and I actually don't even blame coaches that much because I think this probably happens a lot. They've had so many players come through their programs. If you've been along for a long time, I get it. You forget the names of some people. He's doing it to Saturday Down South. He's sending oh, he's all, SDS. all the DMs are, are are to SDS. That's what this makes it even more bizarre. I'm like, what? Yeah, it's not like he like. It, I would I would hope that somebody that coaches for that long at that level would see my profile picture where I have like this patchy ass beard and a shirt with a corgi with like an American flag sunglasses on it would know that I was not a professional football player. However, it makes it even weirder that he's, he DMs SDS and is like, how's it going, man? He's, how's, how's, how's preseason going? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Go ball, it's coach. Like a, a good story, honestly. Just keep it. That's going. that's what we need to do. So that that's that's our our homework um, to be able to have going into this season. Oh, I guess the season's already started, but we need to be able to come up with an identity for you to make it believable for Phil Longo to, to keep yeah. this thing going as much as possible. Like ah, I yeah, think that's Cardinals exactly what we should focus on for this this fall. Yeah. I'm okay with that, um, and, and then like if we ever do get an in-person thing, you just connect the the, the Twitter yeah. the Twitter the handle show up to, in to a jersey face. like that like weird yeah. brother from uh, Fifty First Dates. Um, <laughs> Last chance at high school. Uh, you know how about this? How about since we're in a good mood today, anybody that's just somebody in the Facebook group or or whatever, send us the backstory that I should come up with, and the best one will win an SCS prize pack. I'm not going to give you guys my email address like last week. That was dumb. Also, are you going to say anything about UNC? Oh, I mean, I was just going to say that, basically, and that Mac Brown is coaching there, and the fact that he hired Phil Longo, who you are currently catfishing, says that he maybe might not have the most inept offensive staff around him right yeah, now, fair. and I think that bodes pretty well for South Carolina. But, um, yes, and also just keep in mind, if you're sending if you're sending in one of these backstories, I, just try and try and factor in the Phil Longo background. Like, maybe, you know, you got to get be able to give, like, oh, you went to a school that he coached at, obviously, or, or something like that to where it's at least, is like, your paths have crossed. Background? I mean, he's got a Wikipedia. That's fair. Okay, let's get back to actual research that I did because I was trying to do my job. Um, Go ahead. My, <laughs> my job was basically saying, Marler, tell this great story. That's fair. Um, okay, so I'll just close it out here. We have two left. Are you going to do Georgia State? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Duke. This was a struggle. Um, th- there, There's not a lot of highlights. I'll say that. They returned eight starters on defense, but that defense was ranked 105th nationally against the run, so that could be a big day for Najee, like you kind of mentioned before the season. 45 carries. They gave up 209 yards per game rushing last year. That is tough to do. They also lose 85% of their incredible, tight, spiraled passing yards from Daniel Jones. Um, So they lose 85% of their passing yards and 80% of their receiver and tight end yards. They only have one player returning with over 10 receptions. Um... Now, the good news, okay, because this line keeps going up. And, again, I think it's like up to like 35 and a half at some places. What? It was, was at, 20, it was at 28? 28 and a half, and I was like, yeah. this is easy. Jump all over it. Even at 30, 31 and a half, I thought it was fine. Now the, the total has come down from 62 to 58, and the, uh, what do you call it, the spread has gone up to 34 and a half or 35 and a half at some books. So duke is 20 and 4 straight up and 19 and 5 against the spread versus non-conference opponents over the last five years they are also 8 and 0 against the spread in their last eight games as an underdog that that one's pretty relevant um also they haven't finished with a positive turnover margin in four years so that's bound to change and it's going to start this week okay so there you go 
Uh, we are going to have uh, Gary Stoken, uh, Chick-fil-A, Peach Bowl CEO, our good friend. We're going to have him on later in the week. going to talk about some neutral site stuff, um, just kind of the way that this offseason has developed. I feel like a lot has changed since we last talked to him in January, or I guess that was December. Yeah. And just all of these new home-and-home home series that have been, you know, sort of piling up this offseason. Talk about kind of the impact of that that it has on neutral site games. But, okay, one more to close out with. Tennessee takes on Georgia State. They are not Georgia Southern, which I constantly have to remind myself. Georgia State is coached by none other than Sean Elliott, who was, yeah, Sean Elliott, right? Yeah, 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 of course. South Carolina interim coach who um, did not play small forward for the San Antonio Spurs no. in the 90s. Um, so when he was interim at South Carolina, he went 1-5. He's 9-15 at, at Georgia State. Um People might forget that he actually stayed on Will Muschamp's staff a year after, like was the offensive line coach in that weird transition year, which you don't really see happen that much with the interim coach. He has as many wins against Power 5 teams as he does losses against FCS teams. So not too optimistic coming off of a a two-win season in the fun belt. So What was was the stat that you had in the offseason? Like Tennessee hadn't beaten an FCS team? Oh, a team team? by 28. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's um, interesting. Yeah, had beat a team by 28 since like 2016 or something, yeah. I want to say. Um, so if there was ever a time, like I said, the Jim Chaney flex game, it, I, I think this is it. Just, yeah. a, just a hunch. Just a hunch. Um, last but not least, an actual an actual good game and a good opponent, Oregon. Um, this one was pretty impressive, obviously. You say Oregon? No, I said Oregon. Um, you can't Oregon. say well, Allie, Yeah, Allie knows that. Okay. Um, so Oregon returns. I, I don't know. Depending on where you look at, it, I don't know how they could possibly mess up how many starters you return. One magazine said they returned twelve starters on offense, which I'm not great at math. That seems almost impossible. So yeah, it can be done. It can be done. Sure. Um, so they returns between seventeen and nineteen starters on offense. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sorry, between seventeen and, and nineteen starters, including ten on offense. And all five offensive linemen. We've talked a little bit about this uh, in the last mm-hmm. episode or two about that matchup with their offensive line versus Auburn's defensive line. Because, you know, I know that we've, we've all said that we think UGA has the best offensive line in the country. There's a lot of people that, that aren't just SEC homers like us that think Oregon actually has the best offensive line in the country. They return all five starters. Uh, they have a combined 153 starts, which is outrageous. Higher than um, I can count, too. Yeah, good news for, for Auburn. Oregon is 4-12 and 12 overall in road games over the last three years. They have not done well outside of Austin Stadium. Um, and then just an interesting set. So everyone knows about Justin Eber. Uh, threw for over 3,000 yards last year, had 29 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. His completion percentage was only 59.4%, and that was largely due to the fact that Oregon receivers dropped 52 balls in 13 games last year, which is by far Oof. the most in the country. So there you go. Not your typical Oregon team. That that is for yeah. sure. I think we'll get a good reminder of that week one against Auburn. Marler, that was really good. We got we got to a lot of stuff there. Well, um, I'm glad one of us took it seriously, Connor. Whoa, I took it very. That seriously. Wyoming kicker thing is gonna that's gonna be like stick with me for a while. Yeah, that was, um, that was a little, little bit uncalled. No, I, when I was part, no but. when I was looking up the stats for a lot of that stuff, there was there was multiple teams that I thought the same thing. I was like, how did you see the kid from Arizona last night? No, because I was I was writing and then traveling back. Okay, we didn't talk about this the other late game, and it has somewhat of an SEC tie because it's Kevin Sumlin, and he was doing November oh, Kevin Sumlin things yeah. in August. They lost to Hawaii, who was six and twenty-three against the spread in the last twenty-nine home games. They were have been really bad. Re- they were like one eleven in their past 
like Pac-12 or last 12 games against Pac-12. Like 11 point favorite should have won. They have Khalil Tate, like pretty big heartbreaking loss. But at one point in this game, just to show you how drunk college football was yesterday, Arizona's down 10. They have they have the ball with like I think four four minutes three minutes ago. They're on the 22 yard line or 21 yard line. Okay, they get stopped on third down, so they have to kick a field goal. It's 38 yard field goal. They get a delay a game, move it back five yards. Obviously, as a Bama fan, I'm already triggered and, and full of panic because <laughs> they're having to attempt a field goal one, and then they moved it further away from the actual goalpost. Next, they're, uh, not next play, but then they get a false start penalty after the delay game. Move it back another five yards. Then another false start penalty after that. So it's three straight penalties of five yards. They move it back 15 total yards. Then they had to call a timeout because they the play clock somehow got down to four seconds after having three consecutive penalties, Standard, which is yep. out of – that is so bad. Um, and this kid just steps up and hit a 53-yard field goal like it was nothing, just drilled it. I would, I would almost trade two for that kid right now. Not really. Did, did the kid flex after? I would flex. He after should have. Like they were down seven, so he didn't pull a Felipe Franks and do that. He just he just kind of went to the sideline and minded his business. Ooh, that's 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 a fire take. Speaking of fire takes, Marler, before we get to fourth and wrong, why don't you tell us about our good friends at Texas Peach? Woo! Guys, so I don't know if you can tell, I've been drinking a lot of water today because Uncle Chris's taste buds were a little bit out of shape yesterday. How would they okay? be able to tell if you've been drinking a lot of water? How would that work? I don't know, because I'm a loud breather, drinker, and I've been gargling a lot, too. I think it sounds cool. Right. Um, anyway, regardless, this, let me just get into my bit, Connor. <laughs> um, yeah, you guys all know I love water. Um, anyway, so yesterday, it was the first day of college football, so obviously I did my standard game day procedure. I, I got up at 6.30 out of just sheer excitement, um, waited till game day started, uh, teared up, because I'm an emotional wreck, and it's my favorite thing in the world. And then, whoever the powers that be were, decided to give us a seven-hour break from game day till actual games, which meant I had a lot of planning. A lot of planning about what I was going to be putting into my body for that first game. I'll tell you what it was, Connor. It was mainly just a lot of different junk foods covered in Texas Pete. We had some fried chicken. We had some grilled Mm. chicken. We had nachos. Texas Pete and nachos, also. Texas Pete and cheese. Hot sauce and cheese. That's a pretty, pretty good combo. Um, we had a great time. There was actual, actual good recipes, uh, at texaspeat.com slash tailgating. You should go check those out because I don't want to send you my nacho recipe, which again, was just doused with, with cheddar cheese and, and Texas Pete. It was delicious for me, but good. do yourself a favor. Do your taste buds a flavor, a favor, either way. Do them a flavor um, too. Get on, uh, on the old interwebs, head to texaspeat.com slash tailgating for a lot of different recipes. And they also have some drinks. You know you can put Texas Pete in drinks? Really? Okay. I just thought I had a problem, but I because I've been doing it for years. So yes. Like that's a, Texas a, Pete. a socially acceptable thing. Alright. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't most of the stuff I do is not socially acceptable. But regardless, sauce like you mean it, y'all. No losses this year. No losses, just sauces. And I'll be in Orlando this week shooting shooting some little videos for Texas Pete. Oh, that's right. I was I kept thinking that you were gonna be there this past Friday, and then I remember that you were not gonna be there until next Friday. Yeah. Um, we will be, we'll both be in Atlanta very, very soon. That's right. Um, well, I mean, you're in Atlanta now, but I'll also be there very, very soon. We're going to save, save an ad talks for later in the week, correct? Yeah. Little, little teaser there. We, we will have ad talks later in the week ahead of the LSU opener, but we do have plenty of questions. Actually, an extra question for fourth and wrong. I just wanted you to choose between, I just gave you an extra option. We don't have to Let's do five. five. They're all good. <laughs> On fire today. Um, okay. So each and every week we ask you guys uh, 
to send us your what kind of questions, non-football related questions or advice you want answered. I'll have you know, I was a day early again with these. Yeah, you are. A, a, a quick shout out to our Facebook group. If you've not joined the SES Podcast Facebook group, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Maybe you're being more productive than we all are, but it is a blast. They had a, an entire game thread last night, just a comment Unreal. section. It had over 400 comments. It was incredible. Um, and it, it, honestly, you know what's even more impressive was they were, they were all pretty reasonable fans after the game. It was, it was really impressive. So we had just a, a really good time on there. Um, did a little Facebook Live, all that kind of stuff. And at like 1.15 in the morning when I sent out the fourth and wrong questions, we still got 20 comments. Wow. Yeah. Very, very impressive. That, so, well done. Facebook group has just been killing it lately. Yeah. So, And if you have not joined, make sure you do. It's a lot of fun. All the um, kids are doing it. So your first question from Chris Milan. Best meal to start a day of heavy drinking? If you're saying start a day... Uh, that that implies that it, you, we're talking breakfast food here. I would assume, right? Yes, that's, sir. That's what I would think. Whatever day your drunk, best, you don't start in the morning. True. Good point. Very good point. Whatever your best variation of eggs, bacon, and toast is, that that to me is like your yeah. your solid base meal for the day. A lot of variations that you can do with that. You know, different kinds of omelets, different kinds of toast. One kind of bacon. You don't do turkey bacon before. That is, that is the, that is the worst. Do. You do, you do regular Oof. bacon or you don't bake it at all. Leave uh, the damn say, country. I'd say that just that trio, any, any sort of variation of that is probably the, the best base to have for you. Yeah, so my, it's, for me, it's Chick-fil-A. It, like, because usually That's if I'm going to start yeah. day drinking, now that I'm not an irresponsible, like, 20-something-year-old anymore, um, and I have to be an adult, I'm only going to be day drinking on game days. So, you know, go to Chick-fil-A. And here's what you, here's what you want to do, guys. What I like to do is get two two biscuits now i'll get a uh chicken egg and cheese biscuit which is incredible if you haven't had it before and then i'll get another just plain chicken biscuit as well put that one in my pocket for a little bit later once i do get a little drunk and start having to fumble through just a little bit dry dry biscuit crumbs it's which it's pocket do you snack- put, it through, put it in back or front usually my front front yeah, pocket on my, on my shirt smart oh on your shirt yeah I, mean, I want people to know that i'm like you know i'm not messing around you're passing um, but no, it's it's a good it's a good move, and also they have the hash browns, all that kind of stuff. So, mm. um, yeah, that's that's a go to move, also because they have the styrofoam cups, and you can just drink out of them the rest of the day. They are fantastic. I love there you those go. Cups. Your second question from Robert E. Lee the third: What is your favorite food combination that you had as a kid? He said mine was mashed potatoes and corn mixed together. That's a good one. I was a, a big, and, and I still am to to a certain extent, big peanut butter and pretzels guy. That was my mm-hmm. favorite combo. Love, love uh, pretzel rods. You know the regular pretzel twists, uh, the little sourdough nuggets that you get. Any kind of pretzel, I can dip in peanut butter and feel good about myself. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. So mine is, and I, I always say that I, I want to do this again, and I, and I don't know why I don't because I live above a Publix. But fish sticks and tater tots, man. That was oh, my that's jam. Weird. God, fish. Well, it's not weird. First off, it's delightful. No, that that combo. I, I, I don't know if I've heard that combo before. Fish, fish sticks and fries. And tater tots, I've heard. Man. Yeah, I mean, like, well, first off, tater tots are the best. Just you they can't. Are. Go, I love tots. You cannot go wrong with tater tots. Always worth. I don't like great. the sweet potato tots. I, I just I don't like sweet potato stuff in general. It's just, like just I get it. I get it. You're trying to make this healthier. I'm not here for that right I'm now. I'm not. Yeah. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here on a mission. Yeah. To hate myself later. Um. So yeah, that would be that would be mine. Let's see here. Okay, so. Real quick, shout out to Robert E. Lee and Jay Woody, who, like, out of the... Jay Woody sent another list of, like, 12 to 15 Dang. questions. And so we are, we're loaded for that. Um, 
So the rest of the questions are from both of them. I'm going to save one of these for last, but this one is, if you could bring anything back in style, what would it be? It's got to be George, right? Really? That's you the only wear answer. I wore, okay, so everybody had a certain time in their life where they bought a pair. Uh, nope. I, this, I think this is more of like people people my age where they, they bought a pair of nope. George, but they weren't called. You, you've admitted to wearing George before. Oh, yeah, Jeff actually, I, I had when I was a senior in high school. You're exactly, right. Exactly, exactly. There was that, that brief time, like eh, kind of like early to mid-2000s where it was yeah. socially acceptable if you wanted to wear a pair of jean shorts, you could. I'm like, you know, a little bit That's of the John point. Cena thing where John Cena brought that, like he was still trying to make it a thing even though it wasn't. You're like, all right, yeah. you need to lose the jorts. But they weren't referred to as jorts at the time. There's jean and shorts so, with the little carpenter thing on the side. Exactly. I don't know what that carpenter thing did or why it was important, but it's it was always hammers. there. Yeah, I guess it is. But jean shorts always got really uncomfortable too because they'd kind of shrink up on you and they get a little bit tight and you're like, yeah, this is... That this is not for me, but you wear them those two, first few times, and, and you find yourself saying, "Okay, you know this this is fine. I should probably get more pairs of these." And then quickly you realize <laughs> this was a bad idea. Yeah. So, and I'm glad you brought it up because I would have totally forgot and that I I did have jean shorts because I, I remember I remember the day I found out that that jean shorts were were like dumb and people made fun of me behind my back was mm-hmm. I like went to go play tennis with like a, a couple of my buddies and. I showed up in George. I don't like. I played sports my whole life. I have no idea why I thought this was it. I played travel tennis. I have no idea why I thought wearing George to go play an actual tennis match would would be an acceptable thing. But I did. So yeah, this is you know we got a whole lot of stuff to get through. I got to call the therapist. Tough one. Um, next question. No, which so, which one would you bring back? Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I bring bring back, and I don't want to sound like get off my lawn or anything like that. I just wish, I just wish that we could say things without so much consequence like i would just bring back sarcasm and when people weren't so sensitive about stuff that's obviously intended to be a joke and and mainly because like like my my comedy has suffered from from how sensitive people uh or like the world is is nowadays but um which i know sounds like kind of dumb or selfish but it's just you know it just i always said because i i was like pretty crass and 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 i I don't want to say rated r but like it was pretty bad stuff and but it's all just words. It's, there's, if there's no intent behind it, I just I, I feel like people are get so sensitive and and are eager to be sensitive about stuff nowadays. Um, so yeah. yeah, why can't Doug Gottlieb just hop on the internet machine and blame millennials for being that soft? was so misguided, Goodness dumb, gracious. that, that was, was ridiculous, horrible. T- you talk about ratioed takes. That one was was up there. One yeah. of the worst takes I've seen in, in recent memory. That was bad. Yeah. No, I mean I, just, I used to do I used to do a, a, this bit about growing up in Stone Mountain, and I, I just I was. Just, I'm not making a weird comment here. Just, this is how it was. I was the only white kid in my neighborhood. I just, I thought it was normal. That's how I grew up. And so I used to do a joke about it. And some kid who was like 20 years old pulled me aside and was like, like tried to rip into me about how inappropriate and, and wrong that was. And I was like, I grew up in it. Like, what are you, you don't have this experience at all. Like, you grew up in like Decatur. Like, what are you talking about? There's a Decatur um, in every single state in the U.S. Is there? Did you know that? Yeah. I, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, just people not being so offended by things when there's not intent behind the words. Let's see here. Next question from Jay Woody. What song do you sing loud and proud when you're in the car alone that would completely destroy your street cred? Your list for this is longer than mine. Yeah, I'm but glad you know that. Yeah. I surprisingly have a, a long list as well. Ooh. I mean, I, I can get at anything T-Swift uh, that I, I'll just Seen her in concert, through. yeah, bro. 
yeah, I mean, whatever. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I'd lose some street cred, but whatever. Uh, I jam out to Halo by Beyonce. I have uh, great we, song. one time. So one time we were, uh, I was in the car with with my buddies, and the song came on, and it was while I was like still like you know popular, whatever it was, like 10, 10 years ago or whatever. And um, I, I asked the question like, how would you even dance to this? And one of my buddies started to. I'll be standing at his wedding. He's one of his bachelor party I went to. He he's like, you would you would put your hands above your head and you would just do this rotating <laughs> halo. And so now whenever that song comes on, we do the halo dance and it may or may not have but definitely got played at our wedding and i think i scared a lot of my relatives by doing this halo dance so that's probably the one that i think would make me look like an absolute idiot yeah well i mean the song the song was was enough i think but then you, you took it a step further i did that's a good song though um it's a banger let's see uh, uh, like yeah my list is, is a lot longer for this like always be my baby mariah carey anything involving an overhead clap i'm really big into okay um yeah, Always My Baby's fantastic. Uh, Celine Dion, uh, All Coming Back to Me Now, love that song. You're a big um, Cher guy, too. Let's not so that's, that. I was going to say that for number one. That's it's, I'm not a no. big Cher guy. It's just that one song. Uh, Backstreet Boys, what's the one? Um, you are. That oh, song yeah. is, that song I, I want it that way. Yeah, yeah, I want it that way. It's song any boy sense. band song. Listen to the words. Yeah. Oh, well, I wouldn't say any boy band song. That's where you go too far, but... Um, no, and, and pretty much any of them. They, there's, and well, they, they get played all. They they all get played constantly here because we're in the epicenter of boy bands here in Orlando. So we we hear that a very good amount, and it's a little bit more acceptable down here, I think, to be rocking out some Backstreet Boys. But yeah, so I, mean, you, I hear you know I hear all the, the things that you're saying, um, and I just want you to know that in the same way that you were there for me to make me aware of the Gene Shorts thing, I want you to be aware that you're wrong when you say that. Um, there's so many bad bad boy band songs. That's why boy bands aren't a thing anymore. Uh, there was uh, uh, what's it called? Yeah, let's there's. Not, the, let's not do um, this. Yeah, there's there's the one uh, I can't remember the name. It's it's like the, all the there there's like it's one like direction. five Asian guys. It's like five K-pop. Asian guys. They're they're incredible. No, no, different one. The kids know know what it is. The youths. I don't. I don't, I don't know, know if a majority yeah, of audience says you're talking about. But regardless, um, I will close off of that like fire take by saying share. If I could turn back time, is like. That is the. I mean, I love that song. Um, Go to karaoke song. It's a fantastic, fantastic song. Uh, last question of the day. You know, here's what what concerns me, Connor, is that he asked what we like, how we'd lose street cred, and we just took it and ran and just. Oh yeah. We, oof, that was tough. Uh, last question from Jay Woody. Chris, having learned what you've learned doing the podcast this last year or two with Connor, how has he changed you or the way you do this job? Connor, same question, but how has Chris's humor or dang near photographic memory changed how you do this job? You go first. All right. Um, so I can, I can gauge how much I'm going to insult you. Okay, this is good. In all seriousness, I have learned from you that you can be more yourself and that you can add more humor to this and that you can add just so much more personality. People, I think people just in media in general and what we do, they want personality. Like they, they want yeah. to know kind of who people are. That's, that's a lot of why, like why we do these fourth and wrong questions is yeah. it kind of gives insight as to who we are as people, you know, some of our background and stuff like that, our interests besides just, oh, what we think about the Kentucky running back situation. Yeah, And I, I think learning from you and being able to talk about different stuff like that, you do such a good job of incorporating that stuff and being able to have a conversation about anything and make it fun or funny to listen to for not just the average SEC fan, but just for the average human being, I think. And that's the biggest oh, compliment. So. 
that's the biggest compliment I think that we can get from somebody is that they're like, oh, I'm not even like really an SEC fan, but I can listen to you guys talk about whatever. And I've yeah. had people say that to me, and I'm like, that's that's Marler because I would want to sit, just sit here, and the first thing I wanted to do, you know, like I wanted to just break down games. Mississippi and stuff. State third string safety. And I and I and I wanted to get into stuff like that, and that's you know when we were doing this podcast a couple of years ago, a little peel behind the onion here. That's the majority of what we did. And when you yeah. came on board, we we took this thing in a different direction. And you know I don't want to save for everybody. We took it in a more fun, more fun direction. You are obviously such a, such a massive part of that. And you have just taught me how to kind of lighten up with some of this stuff and how to how to just have more fun and more personality involved in this because I yeah. think that's that's ultimately what people like, and it's more fun for us to do that too. That's true. I appreciate that, man. Um, yeah, it's weird too because it's like I, I think for so much of the first six months, maybe even a full year last year, like I was constantly in my head of like, all right, how much of myself am I going to be? Like, where's the safe space to be like, how much Marler is is an acceptable amount? Like, <laughs> it says in my Twitter profile, it's like, I'm I'm fun in moderation. I, I, I just, I mean, I get tired of myself sometimes. But anyway, um, I'd say what, what I've learned the most from you on this podcast is not how you pronounce uh, states' names, because I know you're wrong about that. I crushed that. But, I'm, um, very, I'm very well-traveled. Let the record show. Uh, the, it's the, the professional side of stuff and, like, the, the preparation side. And, like, you know, I think you, you could see, like, whatever motivational quotes you want to about, like, how you have to work hard and grind. Like, but there's, like, a few people that I've ever worked with that, like, really grind, like, the way you do. And, and that's, like, that's not something I hate to sound, like, I don't want to sound like Felipe Franks here, but I, I always felt like I had, like, a, a knack for being funny and, and knew a decent amount of stuff. But it's it's been really fun to, like, actually dive into trying to be professional and I, I feel like that you have kind of not I don't say forced me into doing it because that sounds sounds bad but like have really shown me like the right way to go about doing this job and like the right way about like you know handling business on like not just with the podcast or, or writing stuff but like on a daily basis of like okay get up focus get the get all this stuff accomplished and like it's it's you're you're like the way you manage your time and and are able to like balance so many things it's it's really impressive and um yeah so i would say that thanks man that was nice that was really nice we're gonna have a fun experience marler's first time in a press box it's gonna be next week talk about that this this is like such a i'm so glad that you brought that up too because we'll like it's just it's such a different like dynamic and all that and you know i think a year ago we would have been in a different place talking about that. Just you know, but like seriously, in all seriousness, like a year ago, you, really you would grown. have left me on the walk to the press box and been like, "I'm not going to be around this freaking dude. He's going to embarrass I, us." I'm like cousin yeah. Eddie, and, I have, and I think it would have been fair. I have confidence that you will be able to handle yourself like a true, as the pardon my take guys would say, a true big J uh, in, in this setting. And I think that will be will be totally fine. But yes, that will be really fun to experience. Just kind of see like. Little, you know, to get to see kind of how this, a lot of like, you know, the people that have like the traditional journalism backgrounds, like how yeah. they have gone about this job and like what their day to day on a given Saturday is like, because it, it is so much different than the fan experience. Like I've, I've only experienced the fan, you know, got the fan side, like very limited amounts the last few years, yeah. like going to the SEC championship with you and stuff like that. But it'll be fun to kind of take you into like what we see, you know, when we, when we cover a game or something like that. I so just, I mean... Fun. It's, it says something that, like, I, when we got those credentials, I was, like, so pumped because this is, like, it's it's still, and I know that I bring this up all the time, but it's, like, it's still, it never is past me to realize, like, man, two years ago, I was tending bar and hated everything. I was wearing that damn wool vest and, and bow tie, and, like, now I get to, like, actually, for work, go cover my favorite team. But it really says something that when I told Allie, my mom, 
any of my closest friends, because it happened on like when we got to the bachelor party, that not one person was like, oh, congratulations, or cool. It was like, listen, we need, <laughs> we need to talk. You realize, like, it, uh, it's not a bad assumption. And, it, it, like, I'll tell you what, if this was, like, Bama, Florida State from two years ago, it's like the one versus three, mm-hmm. probably would have turned down those credentials. Probably would have had You're to sit like, that yeah. one out. Yeah, <laughs> not, to not go down that road for this. Yeah. It'll be fun though. It'll be uh, it'll be a good atmosphere. We're excited to be there. Excited to get I'm gonna to have to ask a question, right? Post game? Uh, you don't have to necessarily. I mean, you could just you could just observe. I mean, it doesn't matter. It, it, sometimes just it, begrudgingly ask the Game of Thrones question that I didn't get oh, to ask at media days. Like first question, like after the game, like, coach. <laughs> just <laughs> super aggressive and sweaty. Uh, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to to getting to do that. We're gonna do a live pod together after the game. While probably yeah probably after the Auburn Oregon game, when we go back and we'll kind of rehash the all all things week one. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, really really looking forward to it. We've got it might mean too much. One more quick thought on the Florida Miami atmosphere that I saw rolling into the parking lot. I turn turn to the right and um, uh, see right our editor says, hey, look at that car. It's got the it's got the turnover chain, the truck. It's got a turnover chain on the front of it, just on the grill. And it's just this massive, like, gaudy turnover chain. And so I had some thoughts. Do you think Ooh. that's just a decoration for the game? Just put it on there, like, oh, this kind of looks cool. I'll roll up in this thing. It'll look like, you know, people kind of deck out their tailgating vans, and they do it, you know, specifically for when they're going to a game or something like that. I, I'd like to think that that wasn't the case. I want to yeah, think that no this way. car, this car just exists in a regular everyday world, and you could just find it in the public's parking lot, and yeah. it's just there with the turnover chain, just like I, I, yeah, I totally I don't care. believe that. I mean, I the, love it. like the especially in the southeast, and I, I know we we joke around about like how there's not like a lot of like real Miami fans, but I tell you what, this the small core group of real Miami fans are are they some of the most up. unstable fans out there, man. They are. Good lord! There's it's like going to like a, like a Mexican wrestling event. A lot of lot of masks and face paint. They're they're intense. They are absolutely intense. It, it was really fun to to be able to to kind of see that uh, yesterday. And I thought you know all things considered, Miami represented very well. Michael Irvin, you know, oh man, maybe got a little bit ahead of your skis a little bit. Just just throwing that out there. Um, yeah, but that was don't worry. There there will be better times ahead. Um, Tatham Martell, by the way, lining up at receiver a few different times. Thought he was going to get to touch the ball um, at receiver. Got to touch the ball at quarterback like the one time. They basically ran an Ohio State package for him. And, yeah, yeah, that didn't turn out too well. Let's just make a pact right now that we don't talk about Tatham Martell the rest of the year. Fair enough. We've got two two five-star reviews to get to. Uh, this first one is from Ash Modog, who I believe she follows on she follows us on Twitter. This is the same one. She she tweets uh, she tweets at us, you know, for various comments on the show. You know, very very super nice, super supportive person. So great to see five star view in here. Great podcast, great content mixed with humor and great analysis. Go dogs! Perfect. I don't have it pulled up. You got to keep going. Perfect. Uh, this second one. Okay, so. I'm going to come to bat. I'm, we're going to be transparent here. We read five-star views. That's what we do. We read a five-star review the is other day. the four-star review? so flattering. No, 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 no. Okay. We're not reading the four-star review. We, we only read five-star reviews here. But our sponsor, Texas Pete, we're going to come to bat for you. So this is from Will Keaton. Oh, yeah. Great podcast, bad hot sauce. 
best SEC podcast. They are funny, full of stats, and usually unbiased. My only problem is the Texas Pete hot sauce. Sure, if you like red vinegar water, and Texas, then Texas Pete is okay. Otherwise, get some crystals or Louisiana hot sauce. This is not the place for that. We're just gonna bleed yeah, out. Yeah, you just those take names. that trash somewhere else, man. Take that trash out of here. Seriously, like I, 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 I was not born and raised a hot sauce guy. I've had other kinds of hot sauce. I seriously like when I when I switch to Texas Pete, I'm like I'm not going back. This is this is my life now. I am Texas Pete through and through. I'm low on my Texas Pete right now, and I'm just realizing we went to the grocery store today, and I did not get more Texas Pete. Yeah, I think I need to hook up a little. Feeling. I need to hook up a little Tommy O'Rourke situation, get a whole box sent to me, so I just never run out. So Will Key, I'm sorry that you don't like great hot sauce, but like. I'm not even just saying that as part of the ad. Like I, I genuinely I just, believe that. I love that. that it was like a connoisseur of the hot sauce. I mean, I respect that too, and I still I appreciate the five star review regardless. Appreciate it. Appreciate um, it. But that is our sponsor, so I will fight you in public. Yeah. And we actually have one more. We have oh. one more from Ed, Ed oh. Gibson, who I guess found my email because I gave it out to everybody last week. Um, this week I'm gonna give everyone my phone number. He says, Chris, <laughs> give, I'm give a dire. Yeah, I'm a diehard USC Trojan living in California. I listen to multiple USC podcasts and a couple of national podcasts. Last year, a Georgia coworker, Alan Pessy, uh, turned me on to your podcast because he knows how much I love college football. I just wanted you and Connor to know that you guys rock. I love the interviews, love your coach O, love the passion about college football. Even though I'm a left coaster, it just means more to me. I guess I'm a Pac-12 fan with an SC heart. Keep up the great work. Fight on, Ed in the Bay Area. That was awesome. Thank you, Ed. That was great. Yeah. I would oh, send you fantastic. a prize, but we don't have anything. Yeah, I'm sure I could. I could probably steal something from Allie. She's got something in California. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, we got any more swag to, to send out? Any? If you send us a five star review, take a screenshot. Be like, hey, this was me. You know, let um, us let us know. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, do that. I can, we can send more out. I, I don't know. I don't know. We gotta go watch the football game. Let's do it. Facebook Live um, coming Monday. Monday nights for Make real sure this time. Make sure that you're watching that. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod at Vern Funquist at CJ O'Gara. Follow us on Instagram at Saturday Down South. Coach O, we we postponed Ed Talks for for Week One, but we know that you're going to be coming in, in hot later in the week. Can't show me, O'Connor. Try to keep me quiet. That's the day. Maybe a good idea to rep my boys a little bit. See, day we got Georgia Southern. Talk to you guys later in a week.